Well, welcome to the Unstoppable Freedom Podcast. I'm Jimmy Page. This is part two in a two-part series with Sergeant Betsy Smith. She's the official spokesperson for the National Police Association. And if you listen to part one, boy, buckle up because part two gets even better. We're going to be talking about the importance of our police and what you can do as private citizens to protect yourself, protect your families, and protect your property. Here we go. You know, I think in terms of it's funny now, people will ask me all the time, they'll text or email and they'll ask me, hey, you know, I'm considering sending my kid to this school, this private school, this charter school, this public school. And they ask me, what should I ask my administrators? What should I ask my teachers, my counselors? And one of the things that I tell them to ask is, do you have an emergency response plan? Do you have security on the grounds? What does that consist of? Now, they're not going to tell you their strategy. They're not going to tell you where people are placed, of course, because you 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 don't want to eliminate their ability to protect your kids. But if that school says, oh, well, we don't have any school resource officers on, oh, we don't have a, a gate, a locked gate, we don't have protective uh, uh, relationships with the police department, then you should not send your kid to that school. But I always ask them, you have to ask so that you can get a sense for how safe your kids are going to be on that campus. Well, yes, this is why there's so many great programs out there uh, in many different states like Indiana, Mm. where if a teacher wants to be armed and trained and only if they want to be, then they have that option, that opportunity. And there, there are programs all around the country. And, you know, this is the thing. As a parent, mm. you need to know if a program like that is available. And you need to know what the mentality is mm. of your school personnel. Also, as a parent or a grandparent, you have to talk to your kids yeah. about this. And this is a really uncomfortable thing mm-hmm. to, to talk. You got to be age appropriate, but this is something my husband and I did. And mm-hmm. our, our kids are now in their late twenties and thirties, but we talked to them back then because of incidents like Columbine that trained the way cops, tra- yes. uh, that changed the way cops train. And I think it should have changed the way parents talk to their kids. Yes. So our kids, you know, cause you hear about, uh, Things like run, hide, fight, you know, this and that. But you got to talk to your don't let the school educate your kid about their own personal safety. Yes. You need to do it yourself. You need to empower them to be able to take an opportunity. If if your teacher says, you know, you hide here right now, but your kid sees an opportunity to get out over there. Mm. You empower your child to be able to take care of themselves and to be able to take care of their friends, their school, things like that, if they're old enough and capable of being able to do that. It's amazing. I mean, there's some listeners right now that can't believe we have to have this conversation, right? I mean, there are, (laughs) and I get it, but, but we have to, we have to be honest about what's happening. You know, I've talked to some former military personnel who, uh, you know, when they send their kids to school with a backpack on, they put body armor in the backpack. You know, there, there is, there is high tech, body armor, inexpensive body armor that you can put, so to speak, put in your kid's backpack where they can actually use that backpack as a defensive shield. So there are ways that you can prepare your kids without scaring them. In fact, I think, as you said, when you empower someone, it actually removes the fear. When you give someone something they can actually do to defend themselves or to protect themselves and others, it actually gives them confidence 
rather than fear. It's the exact opposite. So um, I just applaud what you're what you're doing. I think this is an important conversation to have with parents. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this was one of the things when, uh, you know, our kids were young. My husband and I, you know, were cops and and uh, off duty cops. And we were very open with our kids that we were carrying firearms. Uh, as soon as they were old enough, we took them to the range, taught them how to shoot, taught them the awesome, dangerous power of a firearm. The more kids know, the safer they are. You know, that's just logical. Yes. And we told them what we expect them to do if we go in the gas station, it's getting robbed, or we go in the right. grocery store and, you know, something's happened or we're attacked or this and that. And this is the same thing. It shouldn't just be cops doing that, off-duty yeah. cops. Every armed citizen out there should be having these family discussions, especially now in 2024, of if we if we get carjacked, if we're robbed, right. if we're, you know, this, that, here's how I'm going to respond as the adult with a firearm. Here's what I expect you to do mm. as the child. And, you know, this is the time where you don't want to argue with mom or dad. You want to do what what you know, what yeah. I'm telling you to do. And the more that you talk to kids mm. about that in a reasonable way and mm. you also explain to them the constitution and your yeah. constitutional rights to protect yourself. You yeah. know what you do? You take that fear away mm. and you give them confidence mm. to be able to help protect themselves. That's right. I think so many good Americans, conservative Americans have been enjoying the blessings of liberty for so long that they've disengaged from the culture They've disengaged from public life. We bought this lie that you can't bring your values and faith to the public square anymore. And we're out there enjoying our lives and we're, you know, we're enjoying freedom. But what we've, what we've forgotten is now we are now about 50 to a hundred years behind the culture war. We are years behind. And now we have to engage in different ways. We have to admit what's happening and we have to have conversations that we never thought we'd have to have, but we have to have them. And it's time. So let's shift gears. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about illegal immigration, right? I'm just going to go on the record that I am absolutely in favor of legal immigration. We have, a, we have a tremendous system to bring in people who want to be here, who want to become Americans. You don't come to America to maintain uh, some other national allegiance. In fact, to become a citizen in this country you have to swear an oath to the United States of America, to the, our way of life, to our culture. Um, in fact, nobody knows this, but you actually have to learn English according to the citizenship. <laughs> so um, we have a tremendous problem, right? We, I've, I had a border agent on here who said we have a super highway of criminal activity coming across our southern border. It's an invitational invasion uh, someone is funding this. Uh, there's a whole bunch of people. And I would imagine that George Soros and others associated with the World Economic Forum and all this Marxist nonsense, it is being funded. People are coming from 165 countries. These are not people coming from South America primarily or Mexico even. These are people from all over the world who do not believe in freedom, do not believe in the American way of life and have no intention of becoming real Americans. Now, are there some that are coming across that want to become Americans? I'm sure there are. But this is illegal immigration. How is this influx of millions and millions and millions of people that exceed American births in America for the first time ever, how is that impacting crime 
and policing and the safety of our communities. Well, it's extraordinary because a big part of assimilation. So if you want to come here as an immigrant and become an American, you're going to assimilate to our culture, our way of life. And that includes our laws, our traditions, the way that we treat each other. Yes. The United States Constitution is basically a gentleman's agreement. You won't touch my stuff. I won't touch your stuff. I won't hit you. You won't hit me. And if you do that stuff, then the police step in and you go through the court system and you get punished. Yeah. That's it in a nutshell. When you have people, millions of people coming into this country who have no desire mm-hmm. to believe in that system, of course, you're inviting chaos. You're inviting mm-hmm. crime. The way that we live in America is not the way that so many of these other people coming in live. I live, I am sitting right now 80 miles from the Southern border in Arizona. And so when I travel, which I do frequently out of the Tucson international airport, what am I seeing now? Currently I am seeing a long line of immigrants in a line where they don't have to show ID. I have to show ID and I got to show the right kind of ID or I cannot go through the TSA line and get uh, into that airport to get on my flight. And we're not seeing, like you said, it's not Mexicans. It's not Central Americans. We are seeing people from the Middle East, from Yemen. We are seeing, I see in the last couple of months, so many young military age men from areas like North Africa and Somalia. And these are people They do not, they have no manners. They, I'm going to say it, they have no hygiene. They do not know how to queue up in a line. I have been, I have had them try to push me out of the way as I'm going up to check in my luggage. And these are people who don't want to assimilate. They feel as they feel they're owed something because that's what they've been told. Yes. And they're encouraged to come here. And what is happening with an open Southern border? Mm. We have record sexual assaults. Mm. We have people from countries like Venezuela who are being, they're ending up in Chicago. Mm -hmm. They're cold. They're tired. They're hungry. They have nowhere to live. So what do they do? They join a street gang. That's happening all over this country, especially in Chicago. We're also seeing enough. We have enough fentanyl in this country right now. And it's all coming through the Southern border to kill Every man, woman, and child in this country. I would call all of that a crisis, yeah. but we're told that we are racist and classist and so many other things uh, when we're told, when we say enough is enough. Yeah. This is going to be the destruction of America for generations to mm. come if we don't stop it. Yeah. You know, you can't help but realize this is a controlled demolition of Western nations, Western culture, Western values based on individual rights, freedom, the rule of law, personal responsibility. This is a controlled demolition. And we're talking about just open borders, people coming across, like you said, the crime is going through the roof. This is an American national security issue. This has nothing to do with race. In fact, there's one race, they're called the human race. We're all in this together. (laughs) But there are certain things, like you said, we want people to come here that want to be here. Um, I think we have to shut off the funding source of this. And we also have to shut off the political, uh, you know, uh, invitation that we have here. It is a controlled demolition. Let's talk a little bit about sanctuary cities. You know a little bit about this because Chicago 
is one of them. Uh, so is New York City. So are all these other leftist cities that are soft on crime and destroying our cities. It's interesting to me, Betsy, why are sanctuary cities now waving the white flag of surrender? Because these border states like Arizona and this administration are transporting illegal illegals all over the country to all these sanctuary cities. I keep saying, hey, you're a sanctuary city. You asked for this. You, you say you're going to take illegal immigrants. What's the problem? They're waving the white flag. Why? I'll tell you what, this is just a bad case of NIMBY, not in my backyard. People like Eric Adams and yep. Brandon Johnson in Chicago. And, uh, you know, we could go on and on, uh, you know, Detroit and, and, uh, you know, in, in some of a lot of the smaller cities, the idea of sanctuary cities of being able to say, we welcome everyone yep. to our fair city here. They thought that was a great idea as long as those people actually stayed in Eagle Pass, Texas and here in Sasby, Arizona yeah. and on the Tohono O'odham Nation in Pima County, Arizona and on and on and on. They thought that sounded like a great idea, but the reality of it, which has now smacked them in the face is such that, oh, it's expensive. It's dangerous yeah. and the federal money is starting to run out. And I think that is the biggest reason mm -hmm. why so many of these sanctuary cities are waving the white flag, because mm -hmm. now the federal government is saying, ah, you know what? We don't have any more money to give I you. You're going to have to take care of these migrants themselves. I also think there was. A bit of naivete on the part of some of these far left politicians mm. who really believed that that insane narrative that these people were just going to come here and they're going to clean houses and be busboys and things like that and kind of live in the shadows. Yeah. And in reality, what they're seeing is so many of these Ill illegal immigrants are here. They are making demands. Oh, yeah. They are committing crimes. They won't leave the hotels. Yes. That are saying, "Hey, enough is enough," and uh, they're they're adding to our homelessness problems yeah. and the homeless in America now in cities like Tucson, Arizona, and San Francisco, California, and Seattle, Washington. The homeless who are citizens here are being displaced yeah. and abused and yes. forgotten. Yes, and so it's this is very confusing yeah. for the left yeah. because they don't know which side they're going to fall on. Right, because it all seems very confusing to them. Yeah, and you know this has a disproportionately negative impact on those that are below the poverty line. It, it always hurts these impoverished areas. It hurts minority communities largely. It it's very destructive to the people that we say we want to help. And then you know then when you talk about the veterans who are homeless who are now being displaced, you know, we, we are creating a crisis. Like, you know, we're in the middle of, like you said, one of the biggest crises we've ever seen. What I am concerned about is ideologically, we do not align. The, uh, so many of these millions of immigrants have no concept of the rule of law, have no concept of individual rights or freedom or liberties or the responsibility necessary for that. And we are creating a cultural clash, which will be violent. They're already violent and it's going to increase. So it's a big concern. Um, I, we've got a lot of issues, right? Can we move? <laughs> I, I want to get your opinions on um, houses of worship, keeping, keeping places of worship safe, um, especially, and this is interesting, after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, 
Um, obviously, the religious communities have come under a tremendous amount of pressure, including violent pressure. Um, how do we keep our places of worship safe? We've got these pro-Hamas rallies um, under the guise of pro-Palestine, which, of course, we know when you listen to them, actually, they're pro-Hamas. That's an interesting little dichotomy. Uh, Pro-Hamas, of course, Hamas is a terrorist organization who uh, advocates for the eradication of Jews and Christians. Um, We've got this happening in our own communities. How do we keep our places of worship safe? How do we keep uh, crisis pregnancy centers safe? What do we do? Well, first and foremost, we have to recognize what the issue is and admit it. You know, people can no longer go to your church or your synagogue with blinders on and say, oh, well, it'll be fine. Nobody's going to attack us here. You know, so, you know, for example, I go to a church here in Tucson, Arizona, where we don't have formal security, Mm. but we know who is who, who's caring and what everybody's going to do in each one of those services. And that's the thing as Americans and as Christians or Jews or whatever your religion is, if you have, if you want to own a firearm and train with that firearm, then you should carry it to church and pastors and rabbis and imams, anyone who is running a religious organization needs to encourage people, your parishioners, your attendees to do that. We, you know, and when we talk about crisis pregnancy centers, it's the same thing. We have a lot of people in this country, millions of people who are retired military, retired law enforcement, or just brave Americans who believe in the Constitution. So many of these organizations like churches, synagogues, uh, crisis pregnancy pregnancy centers, all you need Mm. to do is ask for volunteers to help keep those facilities safe. Yes. And it will happen. Build it and they will come, as we like to say in baseball. So, but we have got to first admit that there is a problem. We can no longer bury our head in the sand and say it's not going to happen here. We know now that it can happen anywhere. And you've really touched on something that's important. I want our listeners to engage. Again, this is another opportunity for everyday citizens to engage Anyone who goes to a place of worship should ask the leadership of that church, the pastors, the rabbis, et cetera, they should ask them, do we have security when people are in this building? What does that look like? Um, Can I participate in it? How are you keeping us safe? What are the game plans? We have to start asking these questions of our leaders and demanding that they take care of it. You know, with my small church here in Colorado, there are several people that are part of a security team. They all know who each other is. They coordinate their efforts to respond to any kind of emergency, whether it's a, a medical emergency or a violent emergency. And the people that are caring in church, they all know who they are. Um, there, it's a coordinated effort to, to make sure that, that the people, when you go to church on Sunday, are safe. And I go every time and every single time that I go to church, I'm thinking, what are the vulnerabilities? You know, I'm looking at people, what they're what they're doing with their eyes and their hands, what's happening. There are a lot of people that are aware of this now because we want to be able to be safe when we're in that environment. Well, Colorado, it's embedded in your history, right? You know, you you were the epicenter of, you know, one of the most infamous school uh, church shootings. Yes. In the country. And that shooter was stopped by an armed citizen. Yes. 
Let's talk a little bit about the Second Amendment. And uh, I know you're a big advocate for citizens, obviously, protecting and exercising their Second Amendment rights. I mean, if you think about it, our founding fathers, who have been demonized as well, they were they talked about the Second Amendment this uh, as the first natural right, the right to protect yourself, to protect your family and your loved ones, to protect your property. This was something that was understood for centuries that no one can take your right to protect yourself, period. Um, you're a 2A advocate. Um, are you an advocate also for uh, concealed carry, open carry? Yeah, I'm actually, an, personally, I'm an advocate for uh, constitutional carry. Yeah. That, you know, if, if uh, you know, like we have here in Arizona and I think 27 other states um, where, uh, you know, if you're of a, an appropriate age, you're usually 18 or 21, you're not a felon, uh, that you get to carry within the state. Here's yep. the thing. I want to set the record straight for people. You always hear in the news that uh, police leaders <clears throat> want more gun control. When they when when you hear that in the news. That mostly means a group of police chiefs. Uh, um, you know, there's organizations like major city chiefs or international association of chiefs of police. Those are very politicized organizations. In reality, most police officers, the boots on the ground cops, mm. pro they want armed and trained citizens to be able to protect themselves. They mm. revere the constitution, including the second amendment. And of course, most of your sheriffs in this country tend to be pro Second Amendment, except in the, you know, bluest of the blue counties around this country. Yeah. So the National Police Association is the most pro Second Amendment mm. police organization in this country because we believe so strongly in the Constitution. And we know that now when nine out of every 10 police departments in this country is short staffed mm. that you not only have the right, but you have the responsibility of preparing to be able to protect yourself yep. and your family. And sometimes your community mm. in certain situations, the yep. police can't always get there on time. That's right. And I think in terms of the training that you get, of course, I'm, I'm a big believer in constitutional carry as well. I believe that no one can take your right to, to defend yourself, period. End of story. Um, of course, that's also, you know, against a tyrannical government, which some would argue we're getting darn, darn close to that as well. Um, it's interesting because, w w you know, when you when you start to when you buy a, a firearm and you start to get trained, I'm a huge advocate for training because you will only perform to the level of what you train to. And, you know, it's a scary proposition when the first time you fire a gun and you hear the the magnitude, even with ear protection, you hear the magnitude of that fire it gets your attention i'll never forget when my wife i got my wife uh, her first firearm and we went to train with that it gets your attention in a different way like oh this is a very serious responsibility uh you can't drink alcohol and carry guns you have to be of sober mind much of the training talks about situational awareness so that you're avoiding conflict for sure it is a last resort to pull a firearm in in a, a situation that might go bad because you're going to be responsible for everything that you do with that firearm. The people that carry are some of the most responsible, cool-headed, serious people that I know. Women in particular and minorities are the fastest growing segments of the gun ownership movement. 
Why is it important for women to be prepared? You're a huge advocate for this. Why is this important? Because we often are the most vulnerable. And so, and I mean, let me talk to the women out there. When you want to, when you think you want to go get a firearm, don't go to some gun store with some guy who <laughs> says, yeah, you need a 45 with the 18. Blah, blah, blah. Listen, <laughs> talk to another woman and get something that is going to fit your hand that you're going to be able to carry uh, on you in a pocket, in your jeans, you know, in your purse, kind of as a last resort, mm -hmm. but get something that you're comfortable with. And then if you have kids or grandkids, get them involved as well. One of the best things that anyone can do is go buy a cheap roast at the store, mm -hmm. take it to the range, put it down range, fire five or six bullets in it, and then, you know, get it and show everybody mm -hmm. there kids, grandkids, all that, what a bullet does to flesh. Wow. This is a thing. It's not a video game, no. but I'm telling you for women in this country, there is a reason why we are the fastest growing segment of gun owners, because we recognize that we are very vulnerable. It's very empowering. Yes. But it's not enough to just own a firearm. Don't go buy a gun, right. stick it in your underwear drawer and walk yeah. away. Yeah. You want to make sure that you train with it regularly. And listen, shooting sports are fun. It's yeah. just really fun and empowering mm. to go to the range and to play around. There's also little simulators you can get very yeah. similar to what law enforcement uses, but it's just a little app on your phone. Mm. And we have those as well, you know, set up yeah. next to the TV. And when the commercial comes on, you know, <laughs> we plink a few rounds into that to kind of, you know, get used to a different firearm or just mm -hmm. practice a little bit. It's fun. Yeah. View it as a fun hobby and also a way to take back control of your life and your freedom. I love it. You know, we need more neighbors like you. Like we should be neighbors. You know, if you ever <laughs> think of moving to Colorado, you know, there's some spots right here. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel safer knowing you're here. Um, <laughs> well, why don't we finish our time together? Boy, this has just been fantastic, Betsy. I mean, I think you've opened a lot of eyes to what's going on and to what we can do about it. How can families get more aware and more prepared to protect themselves and their property? What's one or two things they should do right now? First and foremost, sit down and have a little family meeting and ask each member of the family. I mean, from the three-year-old on up, you know, what are you worried about? You'll be surprised some of the things that your kids, your young kids think about. Wow. You know, what are you worried about? What would you like to see us change? And then... Everybody go outside, take a little walk around and, and look at, you know, your doors and windows and, and things like that. And then I'm going to tell everybody do one thing. If you can go to the pound and get a dog. One of the mm -hmm. best things wow. that you can do for your family safety and security is get something that's going to bark and that's going to love you so much that it's willing to protect you mm -hmm. with its life. That's amazing. Keep okay. The whole, listen, keep listen. the whole family involved in that amazing. and you will be a much safer family. Do you know how happy you're going to make a whole bunch of kids? You know, this, <laughs> this is going to be a good day for a lot of kids. All those parents that have been holding back on getting those dogs, you know, this is a good day. Uh, Absolutely. And get rescue. Don't go buy some expensive puppy. 
Go rescue a dog that needs somebody even more than you need him. That's awesome. Well, Betsy, listen, thank you so much. This has been a, a great hour with you. We could we could go on for another hour, I'm sure. Thank you so much for what you're doing with the National Police Association. Thanks for the way that you've served and for the way that you're protecting police officers and being an advocate for them. Really appreciate you. We'll be praying for you. God bless you. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. <laughs> 